all to our fathers and our fathers. Sanctuary 
happy, happy Father's Day. We've got a special celebration for our fathers. We have a couple of medallions. We want to make sure that the fathers get And I just um, kind of was inspired just here a second ago. We want to welcome all those by way of television this morning to all of United Methodist Church. Early in my ministry when um, we would have hot days, somebody would always hand me a kind of a frozen bottle of water and just tell me to stick it in my pocket and kind of keep, keep me a little cool. And this morning, Marie Wade bought, brought here an ice pack. So I, I can just kind of reach over if I get too wound up in the sermon, I can just kind of lay my wrist on that and, and kind of cool down. It's amazing how you can get cooled down. Can somebody turn the heat up? I'm getting kind of chilly right now. No, we just want to praise the Lord. Uh, we may be small in numbers, but we're great in quality. Say it with me. Great in quality. And again, we want to wish all fathers, fathers-to-be, fathers of the past, to our worship service here at Olivet United Methodist Church, and we just rejoice in the fact that we can gather and share our words of wisdom to our television audience and our radio ministry and other means of communication transportation. We want to thank those who make this all possible. Our opening hymn this morning is all hail the power of Jesus' name. Purple hymnals number 154, 154 verses 1 through 2, 4 and 6. Time if you'd like to stand.
Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated freely. Freely is our next um, number, purple number 389. And I have Joyce Peter watching me. She made sure that I would get this eagle. And, and Nona and Mike provided me eagle, and I, I keep that near the pulpit at all times to realize that Joyce is watching our service and making sure that it's going according to plan. But let us turn to our praise song, Freely, Freely, Purple Hymnal, number 389, please. <laughs> had a number of um, judges in previous um, churches I served. Deer River was uh, uh, Dr. Paul Shaw, and then in um, Staples uh, was a district judge, um, Kennedy, and his wife, Dorothy Kennedy, would always wonder why I wore kind of long white, white shirts. And I learned from her, her husband, the judge, Judge Paul Kennedy at the time, kept cool in his black robe by, by having somewhat ice packs or so near his body. At that particular time, Todd County, 
didn't really have any air conditioning like 40, 50 years ago, and that was quite a move, provide them with air conditioning. So let us go to the Lord in prayer. As Father, this morning, we just want to celebrate your presence. Nehemiah 8.10 reminds us that the joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And as families have experienced graduations, we pray for our graduates, we pray for those who are graduating from high school and college and law school. And we thank you for the moms and the dads everywhere that their eyes are filled with tears. And as they watch their, their child go down the aisles, silently they must think, Lord, it's been such a, such a little while. The lifespan, and I remember talking with Joyce Peters, and she says, although God has granted me so many years, I'm so grateful they've gone so quickly. And that, that's a, a sign of an enjoyative, um, appreciative life. The word of God says three score and ten. Seventy years that God grants us, and many don't make it to seventy years, and others make it further. And we just thank you, Father, for the gift of life and the gift of opportunity of worship. And, and so many families have mentioned to me that the times they really remember are those times of worshiping together, not only with the biological family, but with the spiritual family. And we are all called to be children. And a child is a, a great gift from God to love, to nourish, and teach to walk God's way. And we thank you for godly spiritual fathers that set an example. And so when we grow, the narrow path will not, we stray away. And when they are small, we think that, Lord, we can't wait until they walk. As a grandfather, I remember and cherish those moments when the children rolled over, the grandchildren rolled over, and they took their first step. And then we can't wait until they talk. And a wise person once told me that enjoy them while you may, because before you know it, it will be graduation day. And we pray that they may know how much we love them and we care for them as our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that we've taught them everything just the way God wanted it to be taught. And when they go away from home, the choices they need to make to put God first, they take. And as our ch children start their adult life with, with fears, and we pray that you put a hedge of protection around our children and our grandchildren this morning, and all at once, we understand our parents' tears. We as parents understand the understanding of our parents and our grandparents. Because, Lord, it's, it's been such a little while, such a little while in time. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2 says, The tongue, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. A long time ago, I learned a secret. I learned that Everybody is hurting a little bit somewhere. Those by way of television or radio, those who worship with us every Sunday, and we thank you, Father, that you search their hearts out and you provide that gift of healing and restoration referred. We have to keep telling ourselves to remember this. No matter what they ask, most folks don't really want to know about many things. They want to know about the things that they need and that bring assurance and resiliency to their lives. And oftentimes when 
individuals are taken from us, we dearly and deeply wish we could have them back for one day to recapitulate all the thoughts and the things that we enjoyed with them. It's the easiest thing in the world to obey God when God commands us to do what we like and to trust God when the path is all sunshine. But the real victory of faith is to trust God in the darkness and the confusion and the chaos of certain lives and through the dark. And we ask this Father's Day as we turn every day over to our Heavenly Father. We pray that you grant us the wisdom to grow as Jesus did in wisdom and stature and favor with God and humanity. Pray a special blessing and anointing upon our, our fathers and grandfathers. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would work in our lives a, a reformation to continue on the straight and narrow that brings us before the kingdom of God. We thank you for our Bible study this morning. We thank you that in three weeks, three weeks from today, we'll be worshiping earlier, but the telecast will be at the same time. We thank you, Father, for J-Hop, and we thank you for the gathering, the gathering who will be with us as Sunday school moves back to the 8.30 time, and worship will be from 9.15 to 10.15, and then as the gathering comes in, we pray, Father, that you would bless us to bless them, and as they bless us in finances and enthusiasm and joy, we pray that you continue to bless the younger members and use, use the this facility for the glory of God in honor God's name and will. We pray these things in your special name, Father, the great God of all, asking your blessing upon Matthew chapter 18, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. We pray, Father, that one of the greatest gifts that you give to us is forgiveness. Your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, for by grace we are saved, not of our works, but of the grace of the Jesus Christ. As you taught us all to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is. In Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if, if you're joining us by way of television or, or radio and other means of communication, our scripture today is Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. And we also discussed this at, at Bible study, and, and Ira was not aware that we were going to deal with the scripture today, and I was not aware choice of scripture, but we all chosen, and Mike's going to be sharing also some thoughts and moments with the laity in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. If you would turn with me in the Bibles now. And you can actually start blowing those balloons up. You're not going to distract me at all. I get a little worried if once you blow up the balloon and it, it flies away from you, that try not to blow too much hot air in the balloon. Make sure it, it stays at kind of a low altitude. I remember once, I don't know how many of you were here on a particular Sunday when we got some balloons and people had released them and we had our fans going. We had balloons around our fan, you remember that? That was not a good, good demonstration, you know. But that's how you learn. You take risks. 
certain risks are work out and others don't, but I'm trusting this morning that you're going to just blow cold air in the balloons rather than... So reading now from, from Scripture, one of the things that if you're joining us by, by television or radio, you don't get to have the experience of blowing in a balloon. and You don't get the gifts that we, we give out. But um, again, if any of the ladies want to participate, Nona's very non-biased. She's not going to choose the men over the women if you want to participate, if you want to be a good sportsman. Reading now from God's Word, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and following. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member church sins against me, how often sh should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I will tell you, 77 times. And I really believe that that term 490 was that, you know, man, you really got to be kind of articulate and on top of things to keep track of all those numbers, the state of, of always. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children, and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And this first slave that was coming, it was actually like 280 million, $850,000. The second slave only owed $17. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred, a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throne, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Then I can't see. <laughs> Good morning, brothers and sisters, and happy Father's Day to all you dads. Our same sermon today was regarding one of the most challenging Christ commands Christians to do. We are to forgive others when they have done a sin that hurts or offends us. Christ seems to make it easier for us, though, because he himself has forgiven every Christian everything they have ever done or will do that strayed or strays from God's word. When we have strayed from God's word or the Bible, We've actually strayed from God. To forgive others is the least we can do because we've been forgiven by Jesus. As, e as easy as that is to say or think, it is, 
pretty difficult to put into practice. Every lie, lustful moment, and impure, sinful thought is the price Christ prayed for all of us. The sin burden, the sin burden for me alone, <laughs> I'd like to say it's small, but I can't. That'd be a lie and that'd be another sin. It's huge, it's enormous. Now I think about my sin burden that Christ paid for, and I gotta multiply that by, oh, trillions to get the number that Christ actually went through on the cross. And that's unbelievably, almost incomprehensibly large. Peter boiled all that down to one simple question. He said, he asked Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brothers sin against me and I forgive them? As many as seven times? Jesus replied, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. He didn't mean that we keep a ledger and on the 491st time tell somebody, oh, you're out of luck, I can't forgive, my quota's filled. That's just not what Jesus meant. We would lose count anyway before we got in the hundreds, and that's exactly Christ's point. We should be continuously replicating or copying Christ and successfully modeled, model his forgiveness. We shouldn't ever, ever, ever keep track of somebody's sins against us. Because you know what? He doesn't do that to you or me or anybody else that has faith in him. Jesus then told a parable about a servant that owes his master 10,000 talents. For today, today's argument's sake, let's say they earned a wage of minimum of $7.25 an hour. This mean the servant owed his master 10,000 talents would be an incredible $2 billion $723,100,000. That's more than GDP of 28 different countries put together. Our forgiveness neither requires nor suggests that we ever keep track even one time of anybody that sins against us. Just like the servant couldn't repay his master the old dead he owed, we can never repay Jesus the impossible amount of grace and mercy that he showed us. Now a talent was the largest unit of money in that day, and equivalent to about 6,000 denarii. A denarii was an average day's wage. 10,000 talents is the largest number for which Greeks even had a monetary word for. When Jesus says 10,000 talents, he meant that the largest monetary used by Greeks, and the result is an unimaginably and almost impossibly large amount. To even approach it, one has to know that the average amount in Christ's analogy was equivalent of working man's wages for 60 million days, or 200,000 years. For comparison, this amount is far more than King Herod, King Herod would ever collect in a year or two or even three years taxes from his people. When the master learned that the servants of the servants indebtedness, he ordered him, his wife, and his children to jail and all his property be sold. That would show him. That's not forgiveness, though, like he first showed. But that would only pay back a small portion of the whole amount that he had taken and that the servant owed. It doesn't matter, really, when you think about it. It was he was in debt for even one talent. Even that amount would have been impossible for a slave to repay. When the slave heard of this, he fell and began worshiping the master. Now we know that he found out about him. So he fell down and said, Lord, have patience with me, and I will, I will repay thee all. That was not the truth. He couldn't pay it. The king, moved with compassion, forgave him the entire debt. 
It doesn't matter if the debt was one talent or a million. It's like if you're underwater one foot or a thousand foot. Can you become any more drowned? No. It doesn't matter. If you're one foot or a thousand foot of water, you're going to drown. The servant had just been forgiven an impossible amount. And he came across a fellow servant that owed him one denarii. Again, that's equivalent to about 100 days wages or under 66 bucks. About $65.80. He grabbed this fellow servant around the neck and demanded payment may be made to him right then and right there. Pay me now. 65 stinking dollars. The second servant fell to his knees and begged him to wait, saying he'd repay him all that he owed. This replicated the guy that grabbed him around the neck had been forgiven by the king. Although the king showed mercy of an impossibly large amount, this servant showed the second servant no mercy. And he had him thrown into prison, debtor's prison. Now some of the king's fellow servants saw this and reported it back to the king. The king that had the debt forgiven servant brought back before him. He called him wicked for his lack of mercy and sent him straight into debtor's prison. This is for the lack of mercy that he had shown to others, that other servant. The order was for him to stay in prison until all was repaid. That wasn't going to happen. That was a life sentence right there. Basically, you're going to stay in prison until you die. On our, on our last verse, the Lord turned the parable about others back to the disciples and us. He said, if you or we don't forgive others, we cannot be forgiven. If we think others have committed unforgivable actions toward us, remember the ability to forgive is does not even stem from us, in the, from us in the first place. Any ability to forgive is granted to us from him on high. We need to ask for the Lord's help when we have issues with forgiveness or forgiving others. Only then will any forgiveness of any sort begin when we ask the Lord for help doing it. I believe mercy runs deeper than forgiveness. Finally, if you desire punishment or payback towards anyone, let me raise my hand. I have yesterday, I probably will tomorrow. You haven't truly forgiven them. Think about that. If you're holding a grudge, even if you've told that person you forgive them, if you're holding a grudge and you're losing sleep, you haven't forgiven them. You have not used what the Lord has graciously put upon you and shared it. Lacking forgiveness for anyone shackles the one that was offended with that burden. Someone takes something from you and you don't forgive them, that theft is on you. Keep that in mind. Um, Mike shares a lot of information on topics that I share. There's very seldom any duplication. And Chris always puts a bulletin insert. And there's some tremendous thoughts on Father's Day in the um, bulletin insert. And I trust that you'll um, read and study that. Um, I couldn't help but think of um, the challenge that I, before you're blowing up a balloon, it reminds me of being with the world's strongest man once. World's strongest man was Paul Anderson. He was a United Methodist. He's a United Methodist, Paul Anderson. You can Google that. And he actually took, he took a, you know, a, one of those hot water, what do they call it, a bottle or something, you know, and he blew that up almost the size of one of these balls that you roll on. I couldn't believe it. 
you know, the lung strength. So if you want to, and also if you feel you don't have enough wind to blow it up, you can, you can invite your spouse to help you because we don't want our, any of our men or fathers, you know, running out of air on Father's Day. I want to ask you this morning a very important and penetrating question this morning to get in stage for the, the sermon today. I please answer this question in the quietness of your, your own heart. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to slip out in narthex. But I want you to answer this question with utter honesty. Do you consider yourself to have a forgiving spirit? A forgiving spirit? You could probably answer this question with both a yes and a no. I, I have a forgiving spirit. I, I, one of my favorite programs on Saturday nights when they have it on is the Lawrence Welk Show. And I, I like it when they go back, you know, in the, I think it's the 60s and 70s and have the Lennon sisters. And I remember the Lennon sisters once giving their testimony that their um, father was killed by just kind of some random nut, you know. And the Lord had led the Lennon sisters to go to the jail and just forgive this random nut, insane individual. Said they forgave him. They forgave him. Now, when it comes to difficult subjects of forgiveness, uh, there are always sometimes limitations or conditions or circumstances and varying qualifications to the answers that we give. However, as we gather this morning, as we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, we know that forgiveness is, is central to the living out, the living out of the Christian message and faith. We, we pray every week in our Lord's Prayer the following peti petition. I learned early in the ministry, too, because I grew up in EUB, and it was always forgive our debts. Whenever you do graveside services, it seems like the majority of people want to use trespasses or sins or whatever, and there was a controversy that nearly divided the Asbury Church that started back in the early 70s when I was pastoring there. And, and I guess it never really was resolved because, because a lot of the librarians that came, they didn't like the word trespass because trespasses were signs that you put on the lawns. You don't trespass, you don't, or, and some of the farmers even in central Minnesota, no trespassing meant you just don't cross into our property. And I think finally, Asbury resolved on sins. And I'm glad that that never became a controversy here, at least to my understanding. We, we use debts, and sometimes I'll go back to trespasses or sins. But you kind of know, when Jesus says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespasses against us, and then we, we further recite week after week, you know, not so much in this, it's, I understand it's not a tradition in this church, but some churches I've served, they would repeatedly use the Apostles' Creed, and the Apostles' Creed would go, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Yes, forgiveness is something so powerful that it can, it, it, it can really frustrate us, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, it frustrates us, and it can frighten us, and and frees us into an assortment of human, human behaviors that, that can paralyze us in many detrimental ways. It can also free us to love more deeply. I've conducted many, many funerals for thousands. I just kind of lost track. And, and so many people would say, you know, I, I can't, they would almost 
come to a funeral of a person that they, they didn't want to forgive, but they just felt out of necessi necessity they'd come to the funeral and pay respects. But human behaviors that can paralyze us in many different ways. It can also free us to love more deeply. Many of my psychiatrist friends say that an unforgiving heart has caused many illnesses and frustrations in life. Well, from our gospel lesson today found in St. Matthew's Gospel, the 18th chapter, verses 21 through 35, it so frustrates, it so frustrates Peter that Peter asks our Lord Jesus Christ, how many times shall I forgive? How many times shall I forgive? Some of the most bitterest cases of unforgiveness have been those who have assaulted, especially not only physical but sexual assault. But it was as though Peter was saying, Preacher, Preacher Jesus, make it, make it plain so I can understand. We, we further know that by this time in Matthew's account that Peter had been traveling with our Lord Jesus Christ from towns to villages to cities. I've encountered many situations. I, for Kuchiching in Itasca County, I was a kind of a para-counselor for sexual assault. One of the most interesting cases of forgiveness was where a couple was going to renew their vows, their 25th wedding vows, and, and the woman shared with me in, in confidence that her father, her father had been sexually assaulting her during the 25 years of her marriage to this gentleman. And then when it, when it leaked out, I don't know how it happened to leak out, they had to have security over the father because her husband was going to kill this, his father. Well, you can cite all kinds of examples of, of betrayal. Individuals have told me that it would have been better for my spouse to have died than to have been unfaithful. Seems like unfaithfulness causes kind of a living death. Well, Peter had probably heard our Lord Jesus share some great teaching stories and in parables of his own with the various groups taught about the necessity of this fabulous, fabulous parable, prodigal son, the prodigal wayward son. Perhaps he had witnessed with his very own eyes, Peter, the attempted stoning of the woman, the woman caught in adultery, recorded in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. It's interesting they don't talk about the, the male, and he probably was an assailant. Peter by now was beginning to see that this thing called forgiveness Forgiveness was such an integral part of the new kingdom and new life that Jesus was ushering in. It was just theological jargon, but it was not only theological jargon, but, but it was a lifestyle of obedience. You know, that's where sometimes our more liberal friends that get caught up in this love, love issues, they cheapen grace. It's always love and obedience to God's word. Jesus always expected obedience, a lifestyle of obedience to, to do the work of our Lord. Peter knew that, that forgiveness was both difficult and very demanding to the human spirit. Jesus wanted to know just what he was getting himself in for when Peter, never being bashful, Peter never being bashful to open his mouth, asked straightforwardly, how many times? How many times shall I, I forgive? I believe here in the text we see Peter asking for help about this subject of, that we call forgiveness that we think is so 
easy to say, but so hard to really incarnate in our lives and make the word become flesh. I'm glad, aren't you, that Peter asked for help. So many times in scripture, I, I learned so much from those who ask for help. And in life, don't we learn so much when we ask for help? Because I, I needed help with this thing called forgiveness. May I ask again, do you have a forgiving spirit? I want to share today three exhortations. Exhortations for your consideration about this word called forgiveness. Forgiveness is very difficult. It's very difficult unless we follow the example of Christ. The example of Christ. A couple, a couple of days after President Kennedy was tragically gunned down, and probably, probably recall where you were at and maybe what you were doing when President Kennedy was assassinated, Dallas, Texas. There was a church from the state of Michigan which wrote to the wife, the wife of Lee Harvey Oswald, because this church that had heard that she had wished to stay in America and she had intended to learn the English language. And this particular church took her in and her family upon themselves to write to her and, and to invite her to come to their community with the promise of finding a way um, for her to develop a home and a life, both in the local community and from around the nation. And at that particular time, there, people began writing very critical, critical letters about this church's offer to this widow, widow of Lee Harvey Oswald. And one person, one person probably described the situation more, most correctly when she said, I never... I never heard of a church doing anything like this before. Think of that for a moment. I never heard of a church doing anything like this before. And she knew, I believe, that forgiveness was not often found even in a group of believers, a group of believers who could probably best be called and known as Sinners Anonymous. Sinners Anonymous. Forgiveness is so hard. The minister began... The, pain, the minister began the painstaking job of answering each letter that, that came across his desk that was both unkind and, and critical of the church's response. And the minister, with great sensitivity, wrote each person a letter sharing that he understood their, their feelings and their sense of loss and emotions about their efforts on behalf of Mrs. Os Oswald. However, he ended, he ended each letter by sharing, the only thing you have not shown us as a church is that what we have done would not have been done by our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, forgiveness is never easy, but it's the will of God. Forgiveness is something that's not based on popularity or determined by the most recent Gallup poll, but it's a biblical mandate that's reflected in God's salvation acts on Calvary. Jesus looked down from the cross and he said to those who were piercing his body and inflicting pain and ridicule on him, and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they must have thought, oh, yes, we know what we're doing. Fred, I, I used this um, illustration one time, and I looked over to Lee, and Lee 
was familiar with this illustration, but Fred Snobgrass, how would you like to have a name like Snobgrass? Fred Snobgrass was a very successful baseball player for the Giants, but he was remembered for one of his failures, one of his failures. In the 1912, the 1912 World Series, he dropped a, a pop fly and his error set up the winning run for, for the next batter, hit a single. And consequently, the Giants lost the game and, and the series. And when Fred Snobgrass died in 1974, the New York Times printed this headline, Fred Snobgrass, 86, dead. Ball player miffed the fly in 1912. 62 years later, and yet they could not forget his mistake. Never mind the fact that Fred later became mayor of the city of Oxnard, California, and Fred was a very successful banker and a rancher and raised a fine family. He dropped a pop fly in the 1912 series, and they couldn't forget his error, his mistake. How different from Christ, who not only forgets forgets our mistakes, but forgives them. Secondly, forgiveness is, is never easy. It's never easy, but it's always the will of God. Many years ago, there was a movie that was titled Stars in My Crown. It told of an elderly black man who owned a little, little farm outside a southern town, and some very precious metal was discovered in that area, and suddenly there was this pressure on this black man from many people to sell his land, but he would not sell it. He wanted to stay exactly where he was. He, however, the people in the area would not take no for an answer. They did everything they could to make him move. They burned down his barn. They shot through his house one night, and eventually they even threatened to hang him by sundown the next day if he did not agree to sell. Well, the local Methodist minister heard about the trouble and he went to visit the, the old black man. And, and at sundown of the next day, all the leading citizens of the community came to the farm dressed in their white hood. They were ready to hang the black gentleman if he refused to sell. And the farmer came out on the porch to meet them wearing his best, his best clothes. He said that he was ready to die. He was ready to die. His life was committed to Christ. He was going onward to glory. He said he was ready to die and, and that he had asked the minister, the Methodist minister, to draw for him his last will, his last will and testament, which he wanted to have read, read at that time. And that United Methodist minister read the will, the will, and, and those present realized very quickly that the the old black gentleman was giving everything to them, giving everything to them. He, he willed the farm to the banker who seemed to be hell-bent on having his farm. He, he gave his rifle to another of the men there who had first taught him and went with him to hunt. He gave his fishing pole to another. In fact, the old man gave everything he had and that he owned to the people who were prepared to kill him. But he killed them with his love and his affection. 
And the impact was so incredible. So incredible, seeing goodness given in the face of such animosity was more than any of them could tolerate. And one by one in shame, they turned away and the, the entire lynching mob disappeared. And that United Methodist grandson who had watched everything from a distance and as everyone departed, he, he ran up to his United Methodist grandfather and he asked, what kind of will? What kind of will was that, granddaddy? And doesn't that make you think about the cross and thinking about the cross makes us think about God and God's forgiving self, giving love? This is the way we sing about it. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, Jesus bled and died to take away my sin. This man was able to forgive because he had been forgiven by his heavenly father, and in turn could then pass on and share the gift of forgiveness any circumstances of life. The man was able to forgive because he was close to the very heart and the mind of God. The story is told about a young man who, who applied for a job with the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. I used to, um, my college years, work for the highway department, and I had some of these very monotonous jobs. But this particular individual from the Penn, Pennsylvania Department of Transportation, his application was accepted, and he was given the job of painting the white lines on the nearby roadway by hand because all the machines were temporarily out of order. In the first day, he painted eight miles. Can you imagine eight miles? The second day, he painted four miles. The third day, he painted only two miles. In the fourth day, he only painted one mile. And his supervisor, who at first was very pleased with his performance, became very curious why his production level had continued to decrease. And a young man replied, I'm getting slower. I'm getting slower and slower because the paint can is getting further and further away. If you, th if, you think, if you think that your ability to forgive is getting more difficult and further away from the will of God, perhaps it is because you are not as close as you should be to the very heart and the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. I close with this. God's forgiveness of us is contingent on our forgiveness of others. The Bible is very clear here. If we do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will our Heavenly Father forgive us. We must forgive in order to be forgiven. There is a good reason for this. The love of God cannot enter into an unforgiving heart. And if we don't allow God's forgiveness to first enter us, we can't pass on what we haven't yet received. However, once we genuinely experience it, we can do nothing else but forgive. Being unforgiving has the effect of locking the door of the heart from the inside. Being unforgiving has forces its way in and kicks down the door. We must first open it from the inside. A, a captive was once brought before a judge, and the judge began to chide the prisoner and the judge said to the prisoner, you know, you know that it's in my power, my power to pardon you. 
And the scared, shaking prisoner replied, Yes, Your Honor, I know it's in your power to pardon, but it's not in your nature. It's not in your nature. The prisoner had the insight to know that unless a person has spiritual truth and rebirth, that we have no nature. Our human nature is not to forgive. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is both in the power and the nature of Jesus to forgive and to pardon. Yes, Jesus doesn't forgive the sin as much as he forgives us. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't forgive the sin as much as he forgives us. It's important. Frederick Brucher, who was a most creative Christian writer, shares that of the seven deadliest sins, Anger is probably the most fun. Anger is the most fun. To lick your wounds, to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter consequences and still, still to come, to savor to the last toothsome, toothsome morsel, both the pain you are giving and the pain you are giving back is a, is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that when you are woofing, woofing down, is you're woofing down yourself, the skeleton at the feast is you. I close with a story told about a woman who, who heard the imminent return of Jesus Christ was coming, was at hand, and she had this dream, and, and she was, that Jesus was going to knock on the door of her home at 3 p.m., a day for a very short visit. And she prepared herself and her house for such a royal visit, and at 3 o'clock, the, the doorbell rang. She ran enthusiastically to the door, and, and she was disappointed because there stood an angry and angry and bitter, cold and frowning and gross-looking, gross-looking person. And she shouted out, Who are you? And Jesus said, Jesus said, didn't you expect me to be here? And she shouted out, you, you are not the real Christ. And Jesus said, you're absolutely right. I am not, but I am the Christ everyone sees in you. Unless we forgive 70 times 7, the real Christ will never live inside of us. It's a lifestyle, not a luxury. Father, this morning, help us to realize that forgiveness is not only life, but, but it's a necessity. It's, it's not some luxury. The Christian way is a, a way of love and forgiveness. Real love can only be born because we have experienced God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Remember, His forgiveness is both real and liberating. It will set us free to forgive others in the hardest task of all is to forgive ourselves, to forgive ourselves. Help us, O oh Lord, to ask this question. Where are we in this story today? How are we responding to Christ's offer today, those by way of television, radio, and other means of communication? I hope and pray that we can all stand at the foot of the cross. Each stand, and each time we stand at the foot of the cross, Two truths emerge for us. At the cross, we are reminded of our need for forgiveness. And at the cross, we are reminded we are already forgiven. Do we have 
Do we have a forgiving spirit? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As the ushers prepare to come this morning for your offertory gifts, let us turn to the offertory prayer in our bulletins. Would you pray this offertory prayer with me? God of power and might, as we offer our gift to you this morning, we remember how dependent we are on your love and mercy for every good and helpful thing in our lives. We affirm in our giving that all the money and possessions in the world cannot rescue us from the demons that torment and tug at us every day. When we try to fix things on our own, we have failed. When we put our trust in your loving power made known to us in Christ, we have found our lifeline. Dedicate these gifts in our lives that we might not only find our way, but lead others toward Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As the uh, ushers come forward this morning, let us turn to our offertory hymn in honor of our fathers by way of television and radio and other means of communication. And here, crown him with many crowns. Purple hymnal number 327, please.
you stand for the doxology, please? Then would you quickly turn in your purple hymnals to 329, our prayer to the Holy Spirit. 329, 329, prayer to the Holy Spirit. We gotta ask spiritual guidance on these blown, these bloom, these balloon blowers. Amen. Let's pray. 329, prayer to the Holy Spirit. O great Spirit, whose breath gives life to the world, and whose voice is heard in the soft breeze. We need your strength and wisdom. Cause us to walk in beauty. Give us eyes ever to be behold the red and the purple sunshine. Make us wise so that we may understand that you have taught us. Help us learn the lessons you have hidden in every leaf and rock. Make us always ready to come to you with clean hands and steady eyes. So when life fades, like the fading sunset, our spirits may come to you without shame. Amen. <laughs> 